0: Yeah, I mean it's cheese, but it's it's good cheese.
1: Yeah, it's like Manchego.
0: Hey, welcome to uh, episode eight of uh, On Taking Pictures, the weekly podcast where we talk about the art and sometimes the science of making images. My name is Jeffrey Sidoris from fadedandblurred.com, and with me is, uh, what did we decide? Are you are you Gotham-based? Are you New York-based? Oh
1: God, no. I'm just New York. You're just,
0: are you, you're Brooklyn,
1: Gotham. Right? I, I am, I do live in Brooklyn, so I guess you could say Brooklynite. Okay. But New York sounds better. It does Although sound. Although Brooklyn is almost cooler than being in New York, isn't it? I, I think Co- now it is, sure. Cool, the cool kids, I, I can't keep up. A lot of the cool kids live in Brooklyn.
0: Um uh so anyway, Brooklyn based photographer Bill Wadman. Hello. Uh you know, I before we start, I we talked about Dawson's Creek a little bit last week. Yeah. Um it's on Netflix the whole series. So Nikki you, has you never seen it you couldn't help yourself. I couldn't. I we started watching it. We're we're like four episodes in and
1: <sighs> that is so exciting for me. I almost don 't want to go back and watch it because i don 't want to ruin the memory of it <laughs> you know you know it,
0: it, yeah i mean there there are still some good lines there it's it's it 's well
1: written it 's not it's it was never a bad show no uh, speaking of which I have a headache today and I spent the morning with a two year old so i 'm primed for being cantankerous <laughs>
0: Even more cantankerous.
1: Even more cantankerous than usual. So
0: is is Bert just wearing you out? He's just wrecking you, isn't
1: he? I, I, okay, look, I'm, I don't have a child, and I will tell you that I don't know how people do this. It's like, it's like watching a pack of puppies all the time. <laughs> That's what it feels like. You know, my sister's in town for the week with, with the child, and, and, and I've been asked to watch him for a few hours in the morning, and it's just it's exhausting, you know? Um But you're having fun, right? I'm having fun. But like, you know, one minute he's crying and one minute he's the cutest thing since sliced bread. And it's just, you never know what you're going to get, you know. But Um, it is
0: very much mutual admiration society. You guys, I mean, the the photos that you've been posting and and he, it looks like he just adores you.
1: Oh, yeah. Bert loves his Uncle Baba. Nice. Uncle, Uncle Billy. He can't say Uncle Billy, so he says Uncle Baba. Um, but it's, it's good. It's just, you know, exhausting and, and my hats off to all you parents out there who have children. I don't know how you do two or three or four kids. That's just, that's just crazy talk. Um, <laughs> but moving on to photography, uh, what do, what do we got on the agenda today?
0: Uh, well, you know, we wanted to talk about, uh, a couple of things. Um, one of the things is, uh, differences between, I guess, how did we want to say it? Pro. What makes a pro or or a non-pro? How do you know when you're when you are yeah. pro versus when you're not pro? Amateur uh,
1: versus pro. Uh, bad versus good. Yeah. That, so a little that, a little esoteric today, maybe. But we, we, uh, let's let's do some news, and then we'll get into the heavy stuff. Okay. Uh, um, any exciting happen this week? Any any good stuff out there?
0: You know, there, there's a production company called Media Storm, um, and they there was an article on Time Magazine. They're, they're, they've they're decided to start charging for content. Not not in tor- in terms of an app, but just certain content on their website, certain stories um, you're having to pay for.
1: Now, these um, are their own... Uh, this is their own productions, correct?
0: Right. They're, these, they're, they're in-house productions. They're kind of... Uh, um, uh, are you familiar with any of the, the, the f- sort of fusion stories that like the San Jose Mercury News does where they're they're part photojournalism part video part slides and it all sort of comes together in in one multimedia kind of event
1: uh yes i understand what you're saying
0: so stories like that um 15 20 minutes long and you can watch a a, you know previews or trailers of them but then the full the full content is a dollar 99 okay and it's i don't think it's a bad model um I well, there think, has to be
1: some model because this yeah. whole no one paying for anybody making stuff is not tenable,
0: right? Right, especially as the quality of the content uh, goes up because the demand for the quality is going up. Yeah, you know, um, yep. people people I think are are looking for better content, more engaging content, and well, there's and a why, lot of
1: junk out there too.
0: Yeah, there is. You know, so why shouldn't some of these um, content creators be compensated. I, I think it's an interesting premise. Do you know how they're um, doing with
1: it though? What 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 is the word on the street? It,
0: it's going both ways. You know, like in the in the Time article, there, you know, some of the comments have been very critical of of charging for content. How it, dare it, you! yeah it me somehow and goes it against free. the the free exchange of information blah 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 that the web was founded on
1: which well that's fine when it's you know biographical information of William Shakespeare but i think it's another when you spent 400 hours making a documentary sure
0: sure and these are these are produced pieces and i think this is going to at least i i hope that it that it does Add some value to the work, and it establishes value for people's
1: work. Do you think that in online? This is a little bit off topic, but do you think that an online uh, payment uh, uh, system that that is that is universal would 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 make this all easier? Something something akin to you know your iTunes account or your Amazon login. That that you could go around the web and oh here's this thing okay I don't have to sign up with Media Storm or, or whoever else it is I can just type in my Amazon thing and Amazon charges me a buck fifty and I can watch the thing that 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 the barrier is less that people don't want to pay it's that they don't want the hassle of having to type in their credit card
0: I well I I think if Apple has anything to say about it that's what they want to do with iWallet is they want yeah. to basically kill credit cards and and have one
1: Somehow I don't trust Apple, though. I, you know, I don't know that I do either. I, rather, I don't trust their intentions.
0: I think they're changing. I really do think the focus of the company is changing, and, and those intentions are changing along along with yeah, it. Yeah,
1: but maybe, maybe they need to just survive. That's where they're thriving, right?
0: Maybe. Uh, but to answer your question, I, I, I think some sort of centralized opt-in system for, for payments, I, you know, even if it were just an extension of... Um, one of your existing accounts, yeah. you know, like a PayPal or like, you know, something like that where you can say, I'm going to tie this account to uh, my main bank account or I'm going to fund it with, you know, X number of dollars um, like so little, that I like don't a have a debit
1: to. account so you could use yeah, it anywhere so
0: that I don't have to sign up yeah. each and every time on on all of these different.
1: But it's got to get to the point where it's the same one everywhere else. So that'll never work. Sure. Um, it's just tricky. I I just go back and forth. It's like to, to find a better way to do all of this because credit cards and typing in numbers—it's just so clunky.
0: But don't you think Visa has kind of dropped the ball? I mean, couldn't Visa or Mastercard have been? Yeah,
1: I mean, and they've been trying to do all kinds of things. It's just that they don't have the partnerships with these places online, and or the places online figure we could do a better job than you can. I mean, ultimately, mm-hmm. the payment at Apple's going through your credit card. Sure. Uh, it's just that there's like there's this inter- intermediary in the middle. That's taking X percent, 30 percent, 30 percent just to download it from their servers. That's insane.
0: Apple, you're talking? Yeah. yeah. Well, yes and no. Yeah, it seems high. But if you hang your work in a gallery, they're going to take 40 or 50 percent. And yeah, but don't you know- think
1: the overhead is a little higher in a gallery with real estate and the whole thing and heating and cooling and whatever it is than 500K on a server somewhere? maybe but I mean, you've also built an enormous infrastructure. Yeah, okay. I don't know, it's just 30% <laughs> it just it seems high to me. Yeah? I I all I know is that 30% is what actual stores used to make. Like my father used to own record stores and I think it was about a 30% markup on records. So a $16 hmm. uh, CD used to cost like 11 bucks or whatever it is. Um so thirty percent to me, it's just like yeah, but he had to have a physical store and hire forty people, and you know, it wasn't all just an automated system. But eh, what do I know? I don't what know do it's it's know? interesting, and it's 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 I think it's the way of the future, and I hope that it leads to more people being able to uh, sell their work in some way, you know, or make well, money. Well, I, off their I work. think
0: that you know, just to digress for a second, you've seen that with with the app store that. You know, uh, quite a few people have made inordinate amounts of money creating apps.
1: Yes, but at the same time, like three quarters or 80% of all apps never make a cent. Sure. So, you know, that's it's true that there are a handful of people making a lot of money on apps, but it is not like it's the gold rush over there, you know? Right, right. You know, yeah, they've paid out a billion dollars, but there's like a million apps in the thing. So you know when it when you divide it all up is it actually that much money right. Um, right 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 i don't know it's 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 interesting hey what do you
0: make of these uh the entry level full, what they're calling entry level full frame cameras coming out nikon's announcement uh canon's got one coming out uh, and now there's another rumor that nikon's going to update the d300 to the d400 which if that's true that makes zero sense to me why would you why would you release a $1,500 full-frame camera and then come out with a 1200 or $1,100 crop sensor camera?
1: Wait, so explain to me, I didn't see this full-frame thing.
0: Okay, Nikon's got a new camera coming out called the D600. Okay. Which is their what they're calling their entry-level full-frame camera. Okay,
1: got it. It's okay. supposed how, to be
0: about $1,500. Okay. And the rumor is that, that uh, the 7D is going to be, the, the update to that is going to be renamed the 70D, and the 7D2 is going to be their entry-level full-frame camera on the Canon side.
1: Okay. Uh, I think so, it's a good I, thing.
0: I mean, I, well, potentially. But is is there a market for a crop sensor camera that's within a few hundred dollars of a full-frame counterpart? And if so, what's the advantage or disadvantage?
1: There are advantages to a crop sensor. They don't happen to line up with the things that I want in a camera, mm-hmm. um, but if I was a sports shooter or a guy who was safariing or birding or or that kind of thing, I'd take a cropped camera,
0: you know, just for the extra reach. Uh,
1: yeah, you get the extra reach from the lenses. You get uh, um, uh, you get better part of the lens because the the corners essentially are getting cropped off the edges of a full frame. Uh, you're getting like the sweet spot of the lens every time. Okay. Um,
0: So less less distortion,
1: less yeah, uh, less vignetting. uh, Sharper theoretically to the corners cropped because you know it's going to a lot of uh, lenses on full frame are kind of soft in the corners. But if you're cropping all the way around, you're cropping off a lot of that softness. Um, Now, what
0: happens? We we haven't talked about diffraction much, and but and I'd like to. I think it's an interesting topic because I think it's an Sort of a misunderstood topic, sure. What happens on a crop sensor with you know a, a twenty four megapixel crop sensor with diffraction versus say the 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 d 30, 36 megapixel on a full frame sensor? Can you talk a little bit about that
1: uh diffraction uh well there's there a lot of the problem with diffraction is when you stop and down the lens right. Right. Um, this, is, this is how light comes through a lens and it bends at certain wavelengths more than it does at other wavelengths. Um, so that when you, when, you, when you stop down a lens, you actually are, are bending the light. So if you get past like f11 to f16 to f18, your lens actually gets less sharp as you stop it down uh, to get more depth of field. Uh, which is actually another one of the advantages of a cropped sensor camera. Because, because the same framing uh, on a cropped camera... You're generally further away from the subject. You the practical upshot of that is that you have more depth of field at a particular aperture. So if you're at f five point six on a cropped camera and seeing somebody at a certain distance, like framed a certain way, if you did that on a, on a full frame camera, you'd have to get closer to get the same framing, and you'd have less depth of field, right? So mm-hmm. when you, there are a lot of times when I'm taking, say, pictures of a group of people and there's they're two back or something like that where you have to stop way down in order to get both rows or three rows of people in focus at all. Um, There's another advantage of crop cameras. Mm -hmm. Um, Personally, though, the problem I have with crop cameras is that I am a bit of a pixel peeper and I don't want to waste the whole, uh, the whole, uh, the rest of the light coming in the lens, you know? Um, Right. I shot film 35 millimeter. I like the way I I know what certain... uh, Uh, focal lengths of lenses look like when i hold them up to my eye um and and i'm and and i like the idea that i am getting uh larger photo sites in general you know i'm getting larger photo sites in a full frame camera than i'm in a cropped camera because if you put 20 megapixels into an area that's only half the size then the little photo sensors are going to be tinier Mm-hmm. Um, in which case they they capture less light, and you need more amplification, and there's more noise. I tend to find that uh, cropped cameras images when you're like really zoomed into them feel a little more digitally. Okay, uh, do you know what I'm talking the, about when I say of digitally?
0: pixel density.
1: I think it's because of the pixel density and because of the extra post processing that they need to do. Okay. Um. It's sort of like you're 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 packing the whole thing. You're you're doing more magnification from the scene coming out, going into the lens, down to the sensor. Like the less you try to shrink it, the better off you are. Mm-hmm. Which is why on large format cameras, which we kind of talked about last week,
0: which I've been looking at on eBay, and don't even get me started. Uh, getting...
1: those those nice redwood wistos, oh, beautiful. They are that, beautiful. What was it? The wistoff? Whist- is whist- that the one that Wista. you sent me?
0: Oh, gorgeous. Wista, anyway,
1: they're beautiful. Um that with large format cameras, the lenses generally are not all that fancy. I mean, it's not that they're cheap. It's just that they're not, they're probably not as good a glass as you get on really good 35 millimeter lenses because it's not shrinking the scene nearly as much. You know mm-hmm. I mean? Think so about that. It doesn't
0: become as critical,
1: right? You know, the, the less magnification you're doing, the less the imperfections in the glass are going to get noticed. Um, so it's, it's, crop sensors are, are fine i I think that there is there is a place for a l- full frame camera I think that there are certain pros who are looking for uh, the the best image quality they can get in a 35 millimeter camera and they're gonna choose full frame but modern cropped cameras are getting really good you know it's just that the full frame cameras are also getting really good mm-hmm. uh, the problem is is when you get into like this new what is the new Nikon the Five thousand the fifty whatever oh, the, the twenty four yeah, megapixel, okay. megapixel crop the fifty
0: one hundred
1: and the thirty two hundred okay the fifty one hundred that's the twenty four megapixel crop okay um it's essentially a cropped version of the sensor in the d eight hundred right because it's a one point five crop so your it was thirty six now it's down to twenty four so that's probably what it is it's pro- what it is probably is that they made sony had sensors for the d eight hundred because all the the nikon sensors are made by sony still i think. Um and some of them don't come out you know there's bad yields and they can actually cut down the size of the sensor and sell them cheaper to Nikon and that's the crop sensor that's in this new 5100 I, I'd be willing to bet that's what happened. Um,
0: doesn't that kind of amaze you though? That I mean I think it was Amazon just had these on sale for $200 off it was I think 649 with the kit lens.
1: Yeah. Wait, that's the 5100? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen the image quality, and I, I've had friends who have played with the D eight hundred, and some of them say it's great, and some of them say that it kind of breaks up when it's kind of like in the uh, the the shadows and the like midtones, like shadows going into uh, midtones is is murky, mm-hmm. is what I've heard. I don't know. It's we had a, a friend that, that you're had definitely to getting one. to the limits of glass. You had a friend who returned one.
0: Yeah, he uh, it, the images were purple, really purple in the shadows, and. Uh, Showed it to his Nikon rep, and they said, "Yeah, that's not right." So they swapped it out for him,
1: and the swapped out one was better. Seems to be, yeah. Um, You know, again, you're getting to the limits of uh, of of thirty five millimeter lenses. I mean, the problem is all these, all these. It's very rare that my twenty two megapixel Mark III that I'm actually getting per pixel sharpness that I'm actually getting two pixels right next to each other where they're recording completely different things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, 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 you know, uh, lights stop down, low ISO, uh, not a lot of camera shake, uh, well-lit subject. You know, once you get all those things going, okay, yeah, Then you then the limit is the sensor. But most of the time with these high megapixel cameras, the limit is the lens. So if you have a 24 megapixel camera and you've got the kit lens on there, you know, which is pretty much, I mean, by definition, as cheap as they can make the thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I, I I can't imagine that the images you're getting out of it are worthy. Th- that glass is worthy of that sensor, unless it's stopped down to f eight and you you know have it on a tripod. Which is the problem with the D eight hundred in general. I mean, I bet you ninety five percent of the time people using that are blurring across pixels. Now, it's not to say that in, a, in perfect situation it can't grab a beautiful picture. The question is if that beautiful picture is actually worth. You know if, if it's actually 50 percent more information or if it's just 20 percent more information than a 20 or 24 megapixel sure. camera you know
0: so are we are we getting just as as almost a byproduct of better technology and better cameras are are we are we forcing technique to become better
1: oh absolutely yeah yeah I mean you the, the pictures the quality that you're getting on these modern high-end digital cameras I mean 35 millimeter you're not getting 22 or 30 30 25 or 36 megapixels from a piece of film. And I know there's people out there who are going to say, "Oh, I have this fancy uh, who makes those really crazy Emicon scanners and and I've gotten a 48 megapixel file." It's like, "No, well, yeah, you may have, you know, you may have scanned it at that size, but I'd be willing to bet that the, you were basically scanning around grain, you know, uh, because that's basically what happened. You get to the point where you're because because it's not a grid on film, it's just sort of like this this modeled uh, completely random grain. Yeah, okay. You can you could get the grain in greater detail, but that doesn't mean you're actually capturing any more of the image that came through the lens. Right. Um, so at this point in digital, we are we are well beyond what you were getting on a thirty five millimeter frame of film. You didn't blow up thirty five millimeter frames to thirty by forty inches. You blew them up to eleven by seventeen. You know. Sure. Um, but now well, but, but isn't it kind of ironic that the more quality we have to print the less we actually print?
0: Well well that and th- there there's a there's an irony in that the barrier of entry to call yourself a photographer is getting lower. Yep. But the lower priced gear because of the technical nature of it and because it's getting um so much better at resolving pixels, your technique has to be better to get the best use out of that yeah. gear.
1: It's like we're giving faster cars to people who don't drive as well.
0: Right, and calling them race car drivers.
1: Yeah. I mean, and that, that sort of... And, and it's true. I mean, to get the most out of these cameras, yeah, you need to... Your technique needs to be better, you know? Um, I remember when I moved from... What did I have before the original 5D? I had a 20D? I guess that's the old cropped one, mm-hmm. um, which was 8 megapixel. And then I went to the 12 megapixel full frame 5D, the original 5D. And I remember thinking that the pictures I was getting out of it weren't as sharp as I was getting out of the 20D. And really what it was is that I was just seeing camera shake and limitations of my lenses or my technique that I hadn't noticed before because it didn't get recorded. Um, that that taking pictures with the 5D was much more like taking pictures with my Hasselblad than it was, you know, taking pictures with the old camera. Sure.
0: Because um, the 20D just wasn't capable yeah. of capturing it, right?
1: right? Yeah. yeah. Now I have uh, 22 megapixels and and it's even more so, you know. Uh, interestingly enough, though, you know, the other day I went, I was flipping through some stuff, working on my new Ivy Bridge Hackintosh, which totally works, but that's not a topic for discussion today. But if you want to go look at com, you can read some articles. Um I pulled out, in 2004, my father and I went on this big trip out west. And I took pictures of, uh, um, we went to a bunch of different national parks. And it was my father and I, about a year before he died. And we didn't know he was going to die the next year. But my father and I sort of made up and became friends and went on this two-week trip. Uh, and it was great and it was amazing. And I shot with a original Digital Rebel, which was like sort of the first inexpensive digital SLR that you could buy. And did you w-
0: buy it because you liked the Andre Agassi commercials?
1: Ugh, I did not, but I did buy it because I wanted to use my Canon lenses on a digital camera, and I remember being so excited about this camera. And I got it like two weeks before we left. This was uh, June of two thousand four, and um, went out west, and I had a twenty-eight to one thirty-five, which is sort of like this uh, medium-grade consumer zoom, and I and I, I just bought the seventeen to forty L. Now, this is a crop sensor camera, so that 17 actually acted like a 24 or something like that, you know. And this but, is
0: on what, like a six megapixel camera? Yeah, it's a
1: six megapixel sensor, yeah. which is yeah. less than you have in your new iPhone. Which I love. Yeah. Um, but what I did was when I got home, uh, eventually, a couple years later, I, I, I converted everything to DNG because I figured, you know what? I don't trust that Adobe and Apple and whoever else are going to continue converting files from an almost eight year old camera going forward. You know, like they, sure. they could they could conceivably drop that at some point. And I don't sure. want I don't want to worry about that. But so, the
0: DNG is relatively safe.
1: Yeah, DNG is is sort of it's based on the like the the TIFF spec and, and Adobe it's like their standard, so Adobe is not gonna drop DNGs and 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 all the rest of it. There will always be some sort of open source thing where it'll be able to open a DNG file. So I uh, converted all into DNG and I opened them up in Lightroom 4 the other day, and I had uh, PSDs, like uh, rendered files that I had made back in the day. But I converted them all to the new process. You know how the Adobe Lightroom—they changed sure. basically it's the, the two thos- engine,
0: 2012 process. Right. Yeah, it's in some cases pretty dramatic too.
1: Yeah, so I, I re-rendered these things in the new process and fiddled with some knobs and stuff, and it's just amazing to me that you can and and they looked not like, oh my God, night and day better, but like, wow, that actually looks a lot better. Mm-hmm. It just goes to show you how cool it is that with RAW, you can take a picture and you, you're not stuck. It's not like that camera is rendering that picture. It's that you can now take the information on that sensor and render it with modern technology eight years later and get better results and pull more highlights back and open up the shadows more and better noise reduction and better color and white balance and all that kind of stuff. Um, do
0: you have any prints, uh, from the you know, time that you took them?
1: Um, I do. Uh, the problem is curious that,
0: to see how they would print today.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I mean, at the time I was printing on a dye printer and I, I haven't looked at those pictures in years. My guess is that they faded or, or, or shifted in some way. Cause it was kind of a mediocre dye printer at the time. Um, but it's just, it's just kind of neat that you can go back and do that. And that's the nice thing about DNG files is that they are really kind of digital negatives that you can go reprocess later. Uh, which is a a pretty great thing um, so anyway it's just it's just uh, so back in the day like I didn't notice it was six megapixels you know and I printed a 20 by 30 inch print with it once and it's still sitting in the closet and I thought it looked really great at the time and now I look at it and I go wow that is so low res and kind of gritty at this size you know um, I don't even remember I think my first
0: digital camera it was just a point and shoot it was uh, I think it was a 990.
1: Uh, nikon 990 so you've been nikon since day one yeah i yeah when i just well, to, when to, I, wait how, how did you choose nikon
0: um how did i choose nikon you know what i i don't i don't really remember because i i started out my my grandfather you watched was, hackers
1: and you like the lord nikon guy <laughs> that's right
0: <laughs> that, that's that's funny that's yeah um Fisher Stevens dumped Michelle Pfeiffer. Interesting. Um <laughs> my first camera was a Pentax because my grandfather was a photojournalist and he used nothing but Pentax gear. Yeah. Um like, unless he was shooting two and a quarter.
1: Huh? How old are we talking?
0: Uh, I was
1: sophomore year in high school. So what was it, like a K one thousand?
0: Um well that that's what we used in in class. My first camera that I actually bought uh, was a Pentax Super Program. Okay, um, purchased at Frank's in Highland Park. Um, but he, you know, he was using all of Pentax gear, and he said, you know, at the time he was saying that they're they're really underrated and it's really great gear. And um, he was shooting then uh, a Roly two and a quarter camera. But he said, if you know, if you don't want to go up there, then then Pentax is your thing. So I I used that camera for years. Um, but I don't, I don't know what the reason was. Now that I think about it, for going Nikon, I always wanted um, uh, an F two, a Nikon F two. Okay. Just from a photojournalistic standpoint, that was kind of where I thought I would go in high school. I want to be a photojournalist, but I, I don't know the 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 the, tra- the travel and the the getting shot at not, not so mm-hmm. much. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ending up you know, God knows where with that. It just wasn't for me. Um, but at somewhere along the line, it was, that was my first one. And then, um, I had another one. I don't even remember. I went back to film, I think. Um, and then, uh, and then I got my D300 and I've had that for a couple of years now.
1: It's a, yeah, it's amazing. My father had a Canon AE one. And then when I, when I started getting into bigger cameras, my, Sister's partner at the time, Mark, had a um, whatever it was before the Alon Seven, the old version of the Canon Alon Seven, which was a film, you know, thirty-five millimeter mm-hmm, film mm-hmm. camera. So when I bought a thirty-five millimeter camera, I bought Canon, and I've just been Canon ever since. It's just kind of funny how, and you know, my friend Dan, who I do I do securities conversations with, he uh, it was his father was a Nikon guy, and that's why he does Nikon.
0: You know, I mean, here's the thing, and it, it doesn't matter. You and I have talked, it
1: doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. It's uh, the only thing that matters is that when I pick up a Nikon camera, I don't know what to do to do different things. Like I right. feel, I feel like I'm speaking a foreign language just because. Ergonomically, it's not what I'm used to. And right. That's, that's really the only difference. I mean, especially I mean, this, nowadays. This,
0: whatever you use, the big thing is learn learn your gear so you're not. Yeah fuddling with your gear out yeah. in the field when you're shooting. Yeah. Know, know, the, is, know, the the limits,
1: know the limits of your gear.
0: Sure. Um, and that that kind of brings us in, into what what the focus of kind of today's show was going to be, and that's amateur versus pro. There are a lot of pros, and and by pro, uh, I mean, I guess we should establish a well, baseline of, of, for you, this wait, discussion. Before we, we get
1: into that, should, should, should we uh, do a little quick sponsorship? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um we do have a sponsor. Yeah. Uh the fine folks at Red River Paper.
1: Yay Red River.
0: Yay Red River. Uh I did get my my
1: satin finish. Okay, what do you think?
0: Uh it's pretty fantastic actually. Um
1: And this is from I a guy who like... doesn't like satin paper.
0: Well, okay, I okay. I like it for color. Yes. I still like my polar matte for black and white.
1: That is a perfectly reasonable thing to say. Um I disagree with you you know unabashedly and you're a fool <laughs> but if that's what you but not want to believe just for that yeah but it has nothing to do with your choice of paper no um it, it's it's pretty nice for color though right it, it's uh it's,
0: you know i okay i i printed some iphone photos recently okay um and we did this this shoot with with nikki's daughter bethany this this zombie i i sent you
1: that yeah Moo. that's me uh, doing a zombie so we
0: we did th- this this zombie shoot and i wanted to see how much of it i could do in post, originally we were going to do some makeup on her, but our makeup was all dried up. And I said, well, let, you know, let's just go shoot this thing and then I'll, I'll composite everything in, in in post. So we shot the background plates with, uh, with the iPhone, uh, using an app called six, four, five pro, which I, I really like. Um, it, it spits out what they're calling a developed raw. It's a TIFF file. Okay. Um, but you're getting a little better detail in the shadows, a little less noise. So it's just
1: it's not compressed into a JPEG. That's really the only right. difference,
0: right? 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 Uh, and you can you can also spit out a lossless JPEG, what they're calling a lossless JPEG. Um, but I printed these things at eight x ten, and I was really surprised at how well they hold up. I mean, is it as good as you know uh, a, an APS-C sensor or or even a four, Micro Four Thirds for that matter? No, no. but. For a sensor that's, you know, arguably the size of your pinky nail, yeah. it's pretty damn
1: good. No, it's first of all, the sensor's smaller than your pinky nail. But I, I, I would say that the, the trick with any sort of phone kind of thing is getting the lighting right, right? If if mm-hmm. you have if you have a scene which is within the dynamic range of your sensor, you're fine. The problems come when you have super bright backlighting or, you know, something that blows out or something that's crazy dark, like high contrast scenes are the problem.
0: Yeah. No, it's fantastic. We were, it was, you know, it was a sunny day, but we were in open shade. Yep. So it was very even light, no harsh shadows. Look at you,
1: Dick Avedon. What? (laughs) Were you wearing a a cowboy hat? I was. Okay.
0: And, And a puffy shirt.
1: And there was a guy with bees all over him? That's right good stuff
0: <laughs> yeah so no it turned out really well she had fun with it we're, we're gonna start doing these themed shoots i think the next one i, I want to dress her up like clint eastwood and do like this sort of spaghetti western
1: thing. okay that sounds like a party <laughs> yeah right all right so so you com- you comp this whole thing together and you tried printing it out
0: and i tried printing it and it, it i printed an eight by ten looks fantastic yeah. um and actually on, on that one i printed it both on the mat and on the the uh, the satin and the, I like the satin back. You got,
1: you got the ultra pro satin.
0: Ultra pro satin was it, yeah. 64 pound or something. Yeah. I think. Now, now
1: did you uh see? You, so you see what I mean when it's when it's something with color and has some saturation. It's really nice to have, like the coated papers is so much more contrasty and rich.
0: Absolutely, it and gets that was lost the thing. in matte paper. It, it, it looked. I don't want to say it looked washed out but it just looked like more of the ink had just soaked in, and, and it, it just didn't have the pop.
1: Jeffrey, the, the official word for that, the term for it, is D-Max. D-Max? Yeah, which is, which is, how, which is how dark blacks look on the paper. Look at you. Like how, how, rich, how rich the, the blacks it was, are. First,
0: what was it that you threw at me the other day? Micro contrast?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's true. Local contrast, too. That's important. But micro contrast in, in the Leica lenses, yeah, that's the and term And you make use.
0: fun of me for drinking cappuccino
1: yes and i still will (laughs) um anyway so red river paper they're down in dallas they uh they handpick uh paper from all over the world uh they bring it down to dallas they cut it up and they sell it direct wholesale pricing so it is uh much generally much less expensive than you would buy the name brand papers for and it is as good or better
0: yeah Uh, i don't even remember what i paid for the box of this but it was
1: we got uh, a really good sale though
0: uh, yeah, that, it was 30% off. It was 30% off. I
1: think it, it, it for 11 by 14, it was less than a buck a slice, Yep, which is yep. crazy cheap. Yeah, that's um, very good. But uh, for you guys, uh, we have a promo code. If you go there and you uh, buy some stuff, you use the promo code OTP, as in on taking pictures, and you'll get 10% off your order through the end of the month. And uh, if you want to try them out, for twelve ninety nine, you can order... Uh, a sample pack and they sh- they'll they send you some of their glossy, their satin, their luster, their matte, their specialty, their fine art papers. They'll send them all to you so you could try out and see the ones you like. And it costs you like, look, 1299, 13 bucks. So you could try it out. Um, yeah, but I think I you'll think, be pleased.
0: What, are there 25 sheets in there? What is
1: it? Something, something is it, like it, that. It's something crazy. 30 I, sheets, something like that. I am a, uh, I found them years ago because I was looking for a cheaper place to buy paper that, that was high quality because I figured there's got to be a better place to buy this than from Epson. You know. Um, and I didn't want to spend fifteen dollars a slice for hammer mule. Because yeah. I don't like the I don't like all that kind of fancy fine art paper. I'll, I'll leave nice that for though. you. It is nice. Oh no, it's beautiful paper. Actually, you know what, I have you tried any of the fine art paper that Red River has? Not yet. Because nope. you you and Nikki are into that. You guys should order some just to see how it is, because I'm sure it's probably pretty good too. Um, but uh, Red River paper, like we always say, uh, you know, printing is 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 sort of the final step. In some ways it's not finished until you have a nice print of it. At least that's the way I feel.
0: I've I've really been digging printing lately.
1: It is you know, it's like having a tangible object is a good thing. Mm-hmm. See, you know, see episode 2 or whatever it is that we talked about printing. Right. Was it episode 2?
0: I think it was episode 2.
1: Okay. Objects, printing objects. Ah, that's a good one. Um so that's good stuff. Okay, so let's go back into our thing. Yeah. Um I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Um, because technology has made all this so much easier, and there are so many people who walk in and, and well let 's say accessible
0: it 's not easier
1: okay yes it 's far more accessible i guess it 's easier to get your hands on tech on the technology without spending as much money mm-hmm. um, it, it's it, The question I have and i 've discussed this with a couple of friends of mine, which is you know if you buy a bass guitar and you 've never played bass guitar before do you call yourself a musician or a bass player the minute you buy the guitar or do you have to get good at it before you call yourself a musician? You know, and there are some people who the minute they get the guitar, they're just like, I'm going to start gigging because that's the only way I'm going to get better. And Hey, I'm a bass player. And here I am. Um, I tend to lean more towards the, the exact opposite extreme where I will say, I have a hard time often calling myself a photographer And part of it is that I have, I have so much respect for photography as, uh, an entity unto itself as, as an art form that I'm very weary of even calling myself a photographer for fear of, 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 uh, softening photography from weakening it. Do you understand Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Sure. Sure. Um, and so there's lots of people that go on on both sides of that. So there's 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 being good at what you do, and then there's being a professional. Just because somebody's a professional doesn't mean that they're good, and just because somebody is an amateur doesn't mean that they're not really good. I know some quote unquote professional photographers, you know, which I, of course will rename remain nameless, who are terrible photographers. Mm-hmm. But someone has paid them to take pictures. And that makes them a professional photographer. You know? Your Aunt Lucy, her daughter, needed a photographer and you were going to the wedding anyway and you brought a camera and they paid you $30 to get the film developed and it only cost you 20 bucks. So you made 10 bucks on the gig. You're a professional photographer. <laughs> Doesn't mean that your pictures are any good. You know? Now, do, you, do you think part of your... And I'm not... It's not to say that I don't want people to be good i want people to be good but it's almost like i I, it's almost like don't use the don't use the name unless you can really back it up okay but
0: do you think that that part of that is because or i don't want to say because of but is influenced by how and when you got into photography that when you got into photography the option wasn't there to go out and shoot a thousand pictures in a day it's
1: true back in my day we had to put colonial (laughs) on glass plates
0: you had to chisel it out i don't well, know I, why do you is there something to that i mean <laughs> photographers There, there, they're uh there's a a, a nice cross section of photographers that that instant digital high speed fast focusing perfectly exposing cameras are all they know
1: yeah yeah and and and, is, and, is and that, they still can't frame a shot okay um I mean there there are people who have all of those toys and still take terrible pictures, right? Sure. And there are people who have none of those toys who take glorious pictures. Um I think that I think that taking I think that people take now this is again, this is ever to each his own, right? But to me, people take too many pictures nowadays. Um they should take less pictures, but they should take better pictures. Um Does it devalue the moments if there are I think a
0: thousand incremental
1: shots before and after. I think that it cheapens it, it, it. Art is about making decisions, right? And you could take a billion shots and then make the decisions later, or you could take the time to make the decision while you're taking the shot, um, which to me is more pure, which I guess is, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a weasel word. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but people take too many pictures. I mean, there's t- there's people who talk about you know what? Let's just take video all the time, and we'll choose frames out of the 4K video, and those will be our stills. Right. But to me, that's you're not doing. You're not a photographer at that point. You're just a video guy who's grabbing a still. That's different. Part of so being does it a photographer intent? is. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, Part about part of the thing about being—it's like okay—if you were a painter and you had four million canvases and you threw painted them and you picked the three that you thought were good and those are the ones that are—it's like no, that's essentially how a lot of people shoot nowadays. You know, mm-hmm. what is the uh, spray and pray? Is that spray and pray? Yeah. Oh, that yeah. It, it, David J
0: uh, caught a bunch of flack for for saying that that's that's really how you should shoot weddings. It's just shoot
1: spray spray well you know what maybe shooting weddings it is i don't shoot events so i'm not i can't comment on that um Mm -hmm. but as far as like actually trying to take pictures and being uh, deliberate about the image that you're trying to create i find that offensive
0: um not being deliberate about it you mean
1: yes yeah like just the idea of oh i'm just gonna shoot a bunch and i'm gonna shoot ten thousand pictures and three of them will be good I think that I think that your ratio as a photographer says a lot about how good of a photographer you are and how you think about your art.
0: Do you know um, Joe Shemansky, Joseph no. Shemansky, a photographer up in San Francisco? Really love his work. Shoots nothing but film. Um, You'd you dig him. He, he uses Leica rangefinders. Okay. Um, I had a talk with him. This has been a while back, but. He said, "In his entire photographic career, which is spanning several several years now, he's shot maybe sixty rolls of film. That's, That's it. Seventy, maybe something like that. I seem to remember it was something. It was less than a hundred rolls of film because it's it's all about
1: purpose. It's all about intent. Yeah. My only problem with that is that if I took a picture today, I might not be able to see it for three months. Right. Because I'm only taking one picture a week. You know? Right. Um." That would be we my should, only. We should real put problem him in the that. show notes. So
0: he's a really fantastic okay. photographer. Okay, put,
1: put, put him in, and I'll, I'll we'll go find some links. Um, okay. It's no, and it's look uh, the guy who we chose the first week, uh, Eugene Ache, Um oh, Atche, who shot for decades, and apparently his entire career he shot less than ten thousand negatives, most of which were destroyed after he died. So
0: so good though. That book has right. become one of my
1: one of my favorite books. And that me. is that is ten thousand now. I may have said this before. I know wedding photographers who take 10,000 pictures at a single wedding yeah. in an afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and this guy took 10,000 in his entire lifetime, you know? And Hey, maybe that's, maybe that's the way the world is going. And I'm an old man and, and whatever it is, I just, I, it, it, <sighs> but can you straddle the line of, can you have
0: purpose? Can you shoot with purpose and intent? while still taking advantage of the capability of the tools that you're using now. Sure
1: you can, yeah. I mean, I, I, I hope that that is what I do, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't always use manual exposure. I use aperture priority all the time, you know? I'll, I'll, I'll exposure compensate up and down to get it to look the way I want it to, but I trust the camera. These cameras are smart. I use autofocus, you know? Uh, I can't, at 22 megapixels, I can't accurately focus well enough at you know open apertures for it to be accurate
0: sure especially with yeah. you using i mean you a lot of your portraits are one two one four yeah so it's a really small slice
1: yeah if, if i'm focusing at f1.2 there's no way i'm going to do it better than the camera certainly not faster than the camera not mm-hmm. through a you know little tiny viewfinder so yeah I'm, the camera do work um you're good at it uh my problem comes when people handle these uh, uh, a good friend of mine uh who was working on it uh um uh, sh- he needed to shoot a syringe for some ad that he was working on for for a medical company.
0: Oh a what? A syringe?
1: Yeah, like it was some yeah. sort of, you know, it was for Johnson and Johnson or something, right? Okay. So he had to take a picture of some new syringe and they have one of those little light boxes, you know. Uh you know those little uh like plastic. The little light tent type yeah, things. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So he doesn't really know what he's doing photographically and and he he his his uh business partner had a Nikon I don't know. Is there a is there a D thirty two hundred or something? You know, some there like, is a D
0: thirty two hundred. Okay, so
1: some like medium range, low end des- digital SLR, right? And Andy calls me and he he says, you know, oh, you know, it's all it's all the the colors are all wrong and it's all uh, blurry in parts of it and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, okay, well you know, what aperture are you at? And he's like, Oh, I don't know. I, you know, I, I, I don't know. How do you do that? And I was like, okay, well he had the whole thing in auto, so he couldn't ah. even change white balance, you know? So
0: every, the camera made all the decisions for and him. it
1: was making all the wrong decisions. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, step one, take it out of auto <laughs> step two, change the white balance to, you know, I don't know what their, what the temperature of their lights were. I said, try, you know, the sun daylight. If that doesn't work, try tungsten, try whatever until you get one where stuff looks white, you know because auto auto white balance is apparently not working. Um, and it took me like three or four minutes for him. Oh, yeah, that works. Okay, now you know turn it to A for aperture priority and stop it down to like F8. Is, oh, so it's F8.0? And I was like, yeah, that's fine. F8, sure. Uh, and he took the pictures and it worked out fine. But like here's a guy and his business partner who have a $700 camera who obviously don't know how to use the $700 camera outside of auto mode. Mm-hmm. you might But as are well- being paid to use it. Right. Right. Yeah, but you might as well have bought a little compact camera in some ways, you know, sure. because you're essentially using this camera as a little compact camera. Now, I'm not disparaging my friend. He doesn't know about photography. The, you know, he knows about stuff I don't know about, you know, and he drives a Porsche. So what do I know? But it, it's, it's, it's just kind of one of those things where it's, it's sometimes the, the, the technology gets in your way. And, and I, well, think that, I think that a lot of times technology is a giant crutch for people. Mm-hmm. if tomorrow the battery in my camera busted but i could still use it as a manual camera i could still do all the things that i do but i think there are a lot of photographers who can't you know
0: well you, you're you've given me a lot of advice and the core of your advice is always the same it's read more practice i mean read less practice more yeah you know, it's,
1: it's Take get out
0: and yeah. it doesn't matter if you're shooting flowers or dogs or people or fire hydrants or whatever, yeah. Yeah. just go out and learn the limitations of the tools that you're using.
1: Yeah. I, I, I met, uh, I met a model yesterday for a shoot and she had, she recently shot with some other photographer and she was saying that he had, um, a $3,000 light that he was using on her. And it, uh, it was some sort of parabolic, you know, those crazy parabolic reflector things, you mm-hmm. know, that people mm-hmm. use those big, like the big
0: hand crank things to open them up or something. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and certain people say that these parabolic umbrellas look amazing. I, I, I don't know. I, I haven't had one. I haven't used one. I don't know. But three thousand dollars for a light. I've I've seen the results of this shoot, and it looked like a softbox to me. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. uh, there was nothing that I was like that is not three thousand dollars worth of light. Um, but she said, you know, her thing was that like, he's one of those guys who has all the toys always has to have the latest always. It's like, it's not going to make your pictures better, dude. Yeah. You know, like the, 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 the pictures that I've seen were not worth the, the work that went into making them, you know,
0: there's a, a, a photographer that I, that I really like He's a street photographer in, I want to say he's in the.
1: Philippines. Wait, is that the who's the guy you sent me the other day?
0: That Danny Santos. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who's that Danny Street Photography.
1: Pictures the are beautiful. Uses, huh?
0: Yeah. He uses a D three hundred. He's got two lenses. He's got a twenty four and an eighty five, and that's it.
1: Yeah. So, but the eighty five and a D three hundred would be long. It would be like a one thirty five. It's mm-hmm. a long lens. But uh,
0: he's shooting every day with those two lenses, yep. and I I would and bet you He's stopping you money, people
1: on the street, isn't he? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would bet you money that he knows every inch of those lenses and how they're going to react and how they're going to work and- which, is, which
1: is a big reason why I prefer primes mm-hmm. is because I know exactly how they're going to react you know and I know what they look like before I hold that camera up to my eye I know what the field of view is going to be um, and it's like I, I sort of I see things now and I can intuitively know what lens I want to pick up to take that picture
0: is do you think there's the photography landscape has changed and is continuing to change so much and i've talked to a lot of photographers about the changing roles and the, and the 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 growing number of hats that you have to wear beyond just shooter sure you you know beyond let's say shooting and post-processing and and photo related things you've got to be your own business manager. You've got to be a social media expert. You've got to be a, a WordPress expert. You've got yeah. to know the ins and outs of uh, the legalities of what you're shooting. Yeah. Do you think those increased responsibilities are, in some way, taking precedent, or, or t- at least at the very least, taking away from? how much time and effort you can otherwise spend on learning the tools and learning your craft.
1: Um, I think all those, I think there were equivalents of all of those things always. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's maybe somewhat more prevalent now. I think that, I mean, I have a fairly well-read blog and you know, I don't have a ton of Twitter followers, but I have enough. Um, I, but
0: I got Merlin man. That's enough.
1: Uh, I, yeah. Last count I had Merlin man. Um, (laughs) Which is awesome, yeah, it is pretty cool um but but at the same time, I don't think that any of none of that has led to me taking better pictures, and none of that has actually led to much paid work so I think sort of the 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 battle for uh, uh, supremacy of the airwaves
0: okay social media supremacy,
1: yeah. Um, I mean, are there guys who have done well in that? Sure. You know, you and I could rattle off a half dozen guys who have sure. done well in that. Um, I don't think that it makes them better photographers. Um, it just gives them more exposure. It makes them superstars, you know? Right. right. Um, they're, they're, they're celebrity photographers and not like taking pictures of celebrities. They're photographers who are celebrities in the photo world. Um, I don't know. There are times when I think to myself, I need to do more of that kind of thing. But then there are times I think to myself and say, I never want to be that guy. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, my whole mantra is, will I look back on my deathbed and be happy about what I did with my life and the things that I made? And, you know, God willing, I'm 37 now, God willing, 50 years from now, when I'm on my deathbed, I'm not going to be saying, man, man, if I only had 15,000 Twitter followers back in 2012, <laughs> you know, if right. I only got 36 likes on this picture I took, it's, it, who cares? You know, when I go, when I show my stuff in person, I have people come up to me and are, who are, who are amazed. They're just like, wow, I, you know, I love your work. It looks like paintings. It's, you know, I've never seen photos like this and all this kind of stuff. And th- they're not just saying that because they could just come up and say, hey, great work, man. You know, like if they were right. just being nice, like they they sit there and they they gush to me a little bit. And it's kind of like, wow. I mean, thank you. That's what I'm going for. And I appreciate it. Um, it but, but you know, and it's it's in person. it's You get that kind of thing. But I don't – the fact that somebody likes my picture online or makes a comment about something, maybe it's nice or retweets something that I put up but I'm not doing it for that. I'm just doing it. I mean, I want people to see my work cause art is about sharing, you know, it's not art until somebody else sees it, mm-hmm. you know, um, to me, I, I like, I like spreading it around and it keeps me honest. You know, I want to make things that I am not embarrassed to show other people. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's tricky, but so back to your thing. Uh, yeah. I think all of those things are, are a good point, you know? Um, the, the websites, the blogs, the writing for this, that, and the other thing, the tweeting, the the trying to do promotional stuff, and oh, do you do emails or do you do mailers or is it all about cold calling art buyers? And I don't know. Everyone seems to have a different recipe. Everyone on the other side of the phone wants something different. Oh, I don't want to see a book. I want to see a website. Oh, I don't want to see a website. I want to see an iPad. I don't want to see print. Oh, I'll, I'll only look at print. I, you know, you can't make so everybody no, happy. There is
0: no simple solution anymore
1: no there isn't and i don't know that there ever was you know but you hear these crazy stories of of bill eggleston coming up from georgia or mississippi and walking into the office of the guy at moma and 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 showing him a shoebox full of pictures and then six months later he's got a solo show at moma right i think those days are gone um now it's like I can't even get into MoMA to to see Eggleston's pictures unless I'm friends with 36 people, you know. Right. Um So it's it's a it's a different world and I don't think you can compare yourself with those people because it's a different world, you know. Mm-hmm. You can't compare ourselves with our parents because, you know, they had 40 years of economic prosperity in some ways, you know. Um So what's what's the takeaway for the new photographer or or
0: the photographer that's that's struggling with making that transition from amateur to pro, if that transition even exists. I, I remember yeah, talking true. to Stuart Sepaigil, and he very proudly refers to himself as an amateur photographer, telling me that the reason is because the word amateur comes from doing something for the love of it. And he loves making pictures. Yes. And I, and I thought that was such a fantastic yeah. way to look at it.
1: Yep. I I agree with what he's saying, because in some ways, if someone claims to be a professional photographer, I sort of see them as a hired gun and not in the good way, you know? Okay. In the, I heard there's a lot of money in taking pictures at weddings. So I bought a nice camera and I'm going to start taking pictures at weddings kind of way, you Mm -hmm. know? And it's kind of like, well, do you actually care about taking pictures or are you just in it because it's a good business right now? Well, I'm a professional photographer. You know, I think that there's, there's a fair amount of that um out there um i think that i think that somebody out there who likes taking pictures and wants to continue taking pictures and eventually wants to make a living at it first of all it's tough it's hard you know yeah well, second what of was
0: all the the oh which um, the video from two weeks ago saw lighter yeah you know ha- marry into money or, or have a rich uncle or something yeah. if you want to be a
1: photographer yeah i mean that it's 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 a big part of it you know um not that i have i married money or have a rich uncle but you know it's 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 not all crystal and 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 whatever i mean it is for a handful of guys you know i'm sure i'm sure mario testino and la chapelle like are not worried about how they're going to pay rent this month maybe they are i don't know maybe they've right. got you know but, but now, would you say but i guess my point is that you need you need to make the kind of pictures that you want to make and if people want to end up buying them or hiring you for that that's great, but I think trying to cater to the market is then, then then you are a professional in the way that I was saying. You know, right? You're just trying well, to create and, a product because there's a market, and that's not. And there's there's a difference between making art and making product. Sure, you know.
0: And the credits that you, I mean, you've got some pretty heavy credits on your portfolio, but those credits don't really translate all that often into future work it's the work itself
1: yeah yeah
0: it's, it's not that it that this appeared in business week or the new yorker or i mean it might be occasionally but your your continued employment as a photographer is is that of the merit of the work itself
1: yeah but and nowadays you can't just sit around and take pictures and hope that people notice you because they're not mm-hmm. you know which is, which gets into a lot about. I mean, we were on the phone talking about this yesterday, where it's, it, 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 it should be 80% your work, 20% your connections, you know, who you know. Right. Um, where in many ways, at least in the big cities in San Francisco and LA and New York, it's probably 50 50, maybe 60 right. 40 who you know. Um,
0: and it's not just photography. It's no, art, it's, it's fashion, it's, it's It's
1: whatever business you're in, right? It's
0: it's all over. And right. and you 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 have seen or or you've probably seen work that's hanging in a gallery, which by its very nature should should signify something important, right? It's right. in a gallery. But then you walk into that gallery and you're like, this stuff is
1: crap. Right. And you realize it's just because the artist knew the owner of the gallery and their friends or their parents or friends or you know, there's all that kind of stuff goes on. And mm-hmm. I, and I'm a realist, I'm not like you know, there are cynical people that say, well, that's just the way it is. Then you got to play the game, you know, and they're out there and they're, they're making friends and, but I never want to make friends just to get ahead. I mean, I'm fine with making friends. Great. And if, and if those connections lead to other things, that's fantastic. But the idea of sort of going out there to play that game, to get ahead, it bothers me in some really deep level. Um, which is part of the, part of the trouble that I have as an artist is that I don't want to be that guy but in some ways, you have to be that guy if you want to play in that game.
0: You know? So how do you reconcile that?
1: Knowing, <sighs> I, I don't mean, know.
0: It's, knowing that you have to be that guy at least some of the time.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm getting better at it. Um, I drink a lot. No, I'm just kidding. I don't drink at all, actually. <laughs> you know, I ha- I went to a, uh, an event last week and um, where some of my stuff – I was showing some of my stuff at this, this sort of uh, meet-and-greet artist's event, and um, – And it was funny because everyone was really awkward in the beginning and then everyone was having a really good time and I was chatting up with a bunch of people like in the middle and then everyone got a little too drunk and then it got stupid, but I don't drink at all. So I was just kind of sitting there thinking this is exactly like a middle school dance or like a high school party where everything's really awkward at the beginning and then everyone kind of warms up and they have a good time. But then it gets kind of weird at the end when everyone has to like, oh, Danny's slow dancing with Judy and you know it, it just it's it, but it's exactly the same and I'm 37 you know mm. Um, so in some ways you just have to know that it's going to be awkward and be the one guy who's not awkward in the room and you know go introduce yourself to people and talk to people because when it comes right down to it people are pretty normal you know I have a meeting later this week with some art buyer and it, like you know I've talked to her on email and she seems very sweet maybe in person she's not nice maybe she's you know going to be my new best friend you know but it's it's meeting these people and shaking their hand and showing your work to them. That 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 is that is where it's at. And then maybe she says, "Oh, you know, hey, there's we're working on this new campaign. And I think your thing will be perfect." Or we got nothing in the pipeline now, but keep me up. You know, oh, do you have anybody else? Oh, my friend Judy works at wherever. Right. By the way, Judy, the same girl that was slow dancing, dancing with, with him yeah, with Danny uh, fifteen years ago. Um, <laughs> it's just it's I don't know. It's just um, it's connections and it's work. I personally think it should be more work than connections, but that's not the way reality is, you know? Um, but you know, th- th- this is, that's a bigger question for another time.
0: Hey, what's the, uh, the, there's a photo festival going on in, in Brooklyn. There is. I just read about it the other day. What is it?
1: There's always a photo festival going on somewhere, Jeffrey. Yeah. But Brooklyn's where you live. Yeah. It's a big place. <laughs> There's like like 10 million people here. More people live in Brooklyn than live in Manhattan. Did you know that? Wait, say that again? More people live in Brooklyn than live in Manhattan. Is that true? Yes. More people live in Brooklyn than in any of the other New York boroughs. Huh. That's
0: a lot of cool kids.
1: It is is a whole lot of cool kids. Most of them are in Williamsburg, though. I'm in the part with the strollers. (laughs)
0: Um, You're spending weekends on the High Line drinking chai tea or something. I'm not a big fan
1: of the High Line. No? I'm going to get sniped from somebody like from Manhattan right now. Oh, that's a pleasant Ah! (laughs) thought. I think it's nice. I just think it's sort of a one-trick pony, you know? And these guys spent like $400 million rebuilding this old railroad trestle. I'm like, really? It cost that much to put in a bunch of weeds? Doesn't it dead end into...
0: What's the museum that it dead ends into now?
1: Um it dead ends into a museum.
0: I thought they, they they moved one of the museums.
1: Oh, maybe they did. I don't know. It starts down to meat packing and goes up to like 34th now, but I think it's going to go up to 42nd I think at the end or maybe it stops at 28th and it's going to 34th. Hmm. When you guys come at the end of the the in the fall, we're going to go.
0: That would be good. And, um, and have egg sandwiches at your local diner. Ah,
1: uh, Nick, the guy at the local diner, he's my buddy. He helped me get Bert out of my back sling. Um, (laughs) He did.
0: All right. Yeah. Bert was out in that photo you posted. He was just gone.
1: Yeah. He just, he falls asleep. You put him in that thing and like, it's like some sort of like swaddle carrier, you know, and he just bonk zonk. Yeah. Yeah. He's out. Um, This week's photographer, uh, Julia Margaret Cameron.
0: Fantastic photographer. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Talked
1: about it a little bit last week. Yeah. If you guys have not, don't know who this is. She is old school, as in like 1860s. Um, British, yeah. uh, You know what? Good question. I thought she was British. Let's pull that up on the internets, so we know exactly. Go to the interwebs. Yeah. Uh, Oh, born in India. Oh yeah, Um, I think she had some like Dutch East India Company parents or some crazy thing. Um, But she was shooting. Very exotic. She was shooting portraits. They're mostly in the studio. Uh, they're mostly like with a single light and some of them are so haunting, uh, that they almost look modern.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, They, they don't look, a lot of them don't look dated at all. This is
1: 1815 to 1879, which means she was alive when photography was invented. Um, and she took up photography, uh, when she was 48 years old. So it's never too late to start guys. Um, and Unless fr- you're over yeah. 48, and her first print uh, was uh, in uh, 1864 of her daughter, I think. Yeah, um, just
0: a beautiful work, really beautiful work. You know what? If you look at if you, we'll put a, a link in the show notes. But if you if you go to Google and do do an image search for Julia Margaret Cameron, what what I find really interesting is the the toning differences yes. across her work.
1: Yep. And I wonder how much of that is bad scans or inaccurate scans or Mm -hmm. how much it, you know, I mean, obviously they're all black and white, right? Um, Right. But, um, yeah, some of them are, are very, very platinum kind of looking and, and they're, they
0: just, they run the gamut from, I mean, there's some selenium looking things or some sepia. I mean, it's just, it's incredibly
1: short depth of field. Um, yeah. And some of them are just tragically beautiful. And some of the people in them, it, like I was saying, they look modern. Like if you don't see the clothes, you could be like, that's some hippie in 18, 1968, you know, um, they're absolutely, absolutely beautiful. And, uh, I, you know, I like talking about older women photographers. Cause we often, so many of the famous photographers are men that it's nice to pick up, uh, one of the women that I absolutely adore. Um, it's interesting. Apparently, uh, when they moved back to Sri Lanka in, in uh, 1875, which is a few years before she died, she complained about the difficulties of getting chemicals and pure water to print photographs. Well, you know mm. what? It's like all the film people pretty soon. Uh, great, yeah. amazing, amazing stuff. Yeah, really nice. Uh, there's um, The mother uh, author of Virginia Woolf, her mom was uh, a cousin of Cameron. And, uh, in fact, uh, and there's this amazing picture of her Julia Princip Jackson mm. and, uh, it's like a lit from one side and it is just hauntingly beautiful. Yeah. This, uh, uh,
0: really look at the page I just sent you. This is absolutely gorgeous.
1: You, um, you guys did a spotlight on her, right? We did a spotlight on her.
0: Yep. It's, okay. uh, it's on faded and blurred. You can. So we'll put it in the sh- s- We'll
1: put that in the show notes as well. Yeah on God, spotlights you know it's that third one down of, of the guy looking down kind of towards the camera yeah it looks like willem dafoe or something yeah it's it's totally these are totally not old pictures you know yeah um there's that crazy one with the guy with the nuts hair it's the be, older I, guy i think it might be tennyson yeah is it, is it tennyson I, it might be i'll have to i'll have to figure it out uh but that that picture is amazing you know with his hair all you know splayed out right uh live from one Looks side like doc brown you know i bought some uh last week i bought some um uh of that instant four by five black and white fuji film when i was oh, at the, the
0: 3000 that you sh- yeah that you showed me but yeah.
1: i bought i bought some for the four uh, by five because they had a stack of it there and i think i'm going to do some really really short depth of field black and white portraits i think i might try one with my sister later tonight if Burt gets to sleep at a decent hour
0: now is um, is that all they've got or is Fuji still making this stuff?
1: Apparently Fuji doesn't make the color anymore. The color's been discontinued. I haven't checked on the black and white and they had a stack of it and it's twenty dollars a box for ten pictures or twenty-three dollars. So it's two dollars and fifty cents a shot. Which is expensive when you need to take more than one picture a person, you know. Right. Uh, it adds up quick. Part now, of me has, thinks I should go digital, buy two hundred dollars of it, but
0: b- before we go, has digital changed your film shooting, do you pre-shoot things in digital if you're going to shoot 4 by 5 because you only get you know one shot at or it's 250 a shot, or do you just shoot and whatever you get, you get?
1: Yeah, essentially use a uh, digital camera as a light meter or as a Polaroid. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I have done that before. Most of the time, though, like the Polaroid 55 is ISO 25. Mm. It needs piles of light. Yeah, and then you're talking on a on a four by five camera, so the wide open is f five point six. So you got to go down to f eight or f ten just to like get any depth of field and sharpness. Wow. So at ISO twenty five, you need like massive amounts of light. Um, so a lot of times I you know you can't really previs with a digital camera because my digital camera doesn't go down to ISO twenty five. So I guess I sure. could I could go down to ISO fifty and get it give it a stop exposure compensation. And sort of get it in the ballpark just to see. But most of the time I just use a, a, um, a handheld meter. You know, and just pop the flash and, and see where I'm at. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, it's changed it. It stops, you don't have to use Polaroids anymore. But then again, most of the time I'm shooting with my 4x5, I'm shooting Polaroids. Which used to be throwaway and are now the final product.
0: Isn't that funny that it's that it's gone
1: yeah. kind of full circle?
0: Yeah, it's very strange.
1: It's kind of sad because I mean, if if I go back next week and all that film's gone and they don't have any more coming in, this might be the last sort of. I mean, I have a couple slices of fifty-five. I still need to shoot, but this could be the last, you know, stuff I shoot with my four by five because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bother starting to like load wooden, f- you know, sheet film holders and right. I, I can't get involved in that.
0: Didn't didn't Impossible Project take over? Or are they just doing like six hundred? Yeah, they're 600. just they're
1: just making the the junky stuff. Okay. Or as I call it, the junky stuff, just the hipster, <laughs> the you hipster stuff. Wow, uh,
0: you just, you're just offending everyone.
1: The the people who want to take Polaroids at parties and are sucking on you know lollipops and have suckers in their hair and you know cool. You didn't kids. think
0: this one through before you started this rant, did you? you?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I once you know right after they stopped making. Polaroid, is it 600, I think is that stuff, yeah. Uh, I saw a girl walking out with 10 boxes in a bag from Calumet one day. Wow. And I was like, oh, stocking up before they stop making it. And she's like, no, this is for a party tonight. Nice. And I was like, you know how many people who really care about their photos would love to have that stuff that you just bought to shoot while yeah, you were drunk?
0: Handout. There's uh, a, a photo that uh, Joseph Shemansky, the photographer I mentioned earlier, posted uh, on, on Facebook a shot of his refrigerator yeah and uh, there's a, a sixer of Anch- anchor steam in it and boxes of film and that's it
1: <laughs> that's it really
0: that's all that was in his refrigerator
1: oh, that's yeah. just crazy good stuff all right uh anything else we want to add no okay no, i think we're good so uh julia margaret cameron is this week's photographer and uh, so good. go so good. buy some paper at red river paper uh Offer code OTP for on taking pictures and you get 10% off your order. I think that's yeah. it. I think that's it. Okay, so if you uh, want to get a hold of us, what do we got? Uh on taking
0: pictures. No, podcast at ontakingpictures.com.
1: Yep. So if you have any questions or comments, send them there and we will try to answer them or uh berate you.
0: Wow. That's you. I'm not going to berate them.
1: We're on the Twitters. Uh, I'm at Bill Wadman.
0: And at Jeffrey Sidoris, or, or I guess at Faded and Blurred, you could do that too. That's easier.
1: Was one better than the other?
0: Um, Faded and Blurred is probably easier to spell because of the whole E-R-Y-2-Ds
1: E-R-Y-2-Ds-1-R.
0: Right. Well, I guess it's not easier then.
1: It's not that bad. It's not that bad. Uh, so, uh, Oh, and so next week we're actually going to see if we can do it live. And we will uh, follow us on Twitter and we will tweet... When we're planning on broadcasting, maybe we'll try some Shoutcast or maybe a Google Plus Hangout, uh, and we'll do it live.
0: That do would be fun. Do it live. I think that would be a lot of fun.
1: Not that we don't do it live as it is. We don't really edit these, but...
0: Uh, and that's maybe, it. Maybe... Now, can you... If it's live, can you sing? <laughs> or do you still have to pay royalties?
1: i sing you to sleep <laughs> after the... I almost said you that.
0: I, I was going to send it to you, but...
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Anyway... Uh, uh, okay, so that's it for this week. Have have a good week, everyone. Get out and shoot.
1: Yeah, go take some pictures. I'm I'm actually I, there's a there was a um, this is really sad, but there was a, a little dead baby bird on the sidewalk outside my apartment, and I. So you're going to go photograph the. Dead I, bird? I no, I came up and I I grabbed my macro lens and I went down and, and shot it. and I'm going to edit those. I'll put one up. It's going to be sad, but I'm fascinated by it. Are they are they really creepy? Eh, it's you know what it is. At the very least, like the thing died. At the very least, I can. Make something good of that, you know? Make some art.
0: Celebrate know. its life. It's, yeah. It's, it's short tiny. life. It's tiny life.
1: <laughs> okay. right. Is it a big bird? Little bird? A tiny, tiny. T- like an inch and a half long, two inches long. Wow. Yeah, like a little tiny baby. I always wanted a crow. I don't know why. You're Because you're strange and <laughs> do you want to be, uh, what's his name, Bruce Lee's son? <laughs> wasn't he in the crow brandon lee (laughs) wasn't he in the crow he
0: was the yeah he will he he was the crow
1: okay i I haven't seen this movie
0: how weird was that getting shot with a wad of paper and dying
1: it happens it's like uh uh what's his name houdini got punched by a guy and he wasn't ready for the punch and the you know because he always wanted to show how good his abs were and some guy caught him off guard and killed him is that true
0: that that's how he died
1: yeah punctured his uh i think it, it it he had an inflamed appendix and the guy punched him and it his appendix burst or something
0: no kidding i didn't know
1: that yeah something like that go read it up huh all right next week we'll we'll talk more about uh how houdini died (laughs) and other important facts
0: (laughs) in the long lists of important facts that we've shared here on the show
1: Uh, all right talk to you later jeffrey all right catch you later bye